Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Thank you very much, uh, Jill, for the invitation and for welcoming us here this evening. Um, We are privileged to have Jill as our chair and being led by her grace and and love uh, really does a great job. I I come from Colombia in South America, uh, teach at a seminary in the area of Old Testament and biblical interpretation. So thank you for the opportunity to share, and I'm glad that it says that it's a, a talk, not a sermon. Uh, so there is a bit of le- less pressure there. <laughs> you know, one of the things uh, that is uh, more visible in Langham is the, the preaching ministry. And uh, in Colombia, it's actually a big movement, uh, hundreds of, of pastors involved. Uh, one of, of the leaders came up with the idea, I think he has, still has that idea right now, that a sermon should be only 10 minutes and have only one point. I'm not going to do any of that, but there is the story of... Uh, a guy, a pastor who went to one of those uh, seminars and went back to his uh, village, uh, rural area, and he preached for 10 minutes, and he prayed and finished. And then he was going to sit down, and a guy who was sitting there said, oh, no, wait a minute. I walked for four hours. To be here. So you preach. (laughs) And so he made the guy, the the pastor preach for two more hours. uh, Because he's (laughs) too much work just for 10 minutes. Um, We have read from the book of Hosea, uh, which I, we, if you have read your Bible, we all know that it's a very difficult book. Uh, especially the beginning, and this book has a sort of a beautiful end, you know. It's, uh, this, these are all nice words at the end of what Israel has to do and what God is going to do and, and all those descriptions. But we, uh, I would like to say something briefly about the beginning of the book, uh, not to explain much, but just to uh, an idea about how to read those parts of the Bible that are that have that strong language, you know, like you find also in, in Jeremiah, uh, in um, Ezekiel, and other prophets. Do you remember when the pandemic started uh, and the focus of attention was Italy? And one of the things that happened was that people were not paying attention to the things that the government said, you know, stay home and, and take care of yourselves, don't be on the streets and all that. And people were 
just partying and outside like nothing was happening. And some of the mayors went out on the streets and started scolding and insulting these people. Remember that? I don't know if you saw that. And told them all sorts of things really nasty because of what they were doing. And I didn't hear anybody say, wait a minute, Mr. Mayor, you cannot talk like that. Don't say those things. Respect your citizens. I didn't hear that. But we, I think we all understood that this was a desperate situation. It was a matter of life and death. It was not something like, let's get together and have a conversation about what we should do about this. It's just go home because we are all going to die. And that was the feeling at the moment. So that's how I see some of these biblical passages. Like Israel is in, the, in a desperate situation. They have had preachers speaking and preaching to them for a, the longest time. And they just don't pay attention. And if you think of Israel as a small, fragile nation surrounded by big and more powerful enemies, they didn't stand a chance before any of them. And they really ran the risk of disappearing as a nation and losing their identity and their faith and everything. So it seems to me that that is part of the reason uh, why these uh, preachers and prophets talk like that, you know. We either listen or we die. We disappear. We will be uh, no more. Now, as we know, Israel geographically is very small, but has always had a geopolitical importance, you know, way bigger than their physical size. And that is why it's been, you know, historically in the middle of wars and, uh, and everybody trying to control that land. But one of the main problems that we see in, 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 in this people in, in, in the book, in the whole of the, most of the Old Testament, and particularly in the book of Hosea, is the problem with idolatry. But the problem with idolatry, as we see it in that prayer that we have read, it is not just worshiping a visible idol, an image. It's also a matter of trust. You remember in the book of Samuel when they asked God for a king. You know, it's a king that will go before us and fight our battles. It is a matter of security. You know, like all peoples, we want to feel secure, safe, protected, that we are not in danger, that if we are attacked, we have a way to defend ourselves. Now, some countries can afford to have a huge army, but, you know, when it comes to nuclear weapons, it doesn't matter what kind of army you have. 
You know, it's just, it won't do anything. Uh, so, and most countries in the world can never afford, afford those armies. So in a way, we'll be unprotected. And there are a few countries like Costa Rica, you know, in Central America, who decided can't do anything, you know, with these big countries and enemies. So they don't have an army. And they decided they would invest that money in the people. And they are one of the countries with the better economic situation in Latin America. So, and they are very small. I mean, there is no point in uh, spending money on armies. So there, there, there's this combination of uh, uh, idols that are visible and are worshipped, but also the matter of uh, security, of, of safety, what uh, people need to feel safe. So that has to do also with the economy. That's why, you know, these gods like Baal and, and Baal is, uh, Baal is the god of the rain and the harvest. And there is, that's the economy. You know, uh, Baal is the stock market, you know, in, in, in those days. That's uh, what they uh, cared for in those days. So after a lot of sermons, in, in the book of Hosea that go back and forth between you will be punished and you will be destroyed and I will save you and you are my child and you're not my child. You feel like, what kind of a book is this? You know, this prophet is, what's his problem? Does he believe that God will do something or does he not believe that God will save them? But you know, that's typical of uh, biblical prophets. They, they go back and forth between the two things. The same thing that you see that really confuses uh, biblical interpreters, especially European interpreters, uh, with the book of Psalms. You have Psalms that declare that they trust God, and then the next line, they don't trust God. And, and you're like, what kind? What's wrong with this person? You know, do you really believe in God or you don't? But then, in in the, in the issue of prayer, when you think of it, I think it reflects how we pray, how we feel. So th those are, to me, really honest prayers. That in the same prayer, you trust and you believe. And then you doubt, and you don't believe. So I don't think we should uh, go to the normal solution of, oh, that's someone else who wrote that. You know, the, there was this prophet who didn't believe that God was going to save them, and someone else later thought, well, that looks too bad. We should say that God will save them. Uh, somehow, and, and then they changed the text. But that is how they preached and how they experienced uh, their faith and, and their piety. Here we come to the end of Hosea, and we have uh, something unusual because it is a, a kind of a liturgy, you know, 
Do this. Pray like this. Say this to God. And here we have uh, in this liturgy that is proposed some images of God that are at the heart of what Israel goes through in relationship, in, in relationship with the, their, what they believe and how they experience their beliefs and what they do with their problems, what they do when they have difficulties. And the issue of idolatry, the military, and the economy. You know, those are the three things that are at play here. So the first thing uh, that they say, that they have to say in their prayer is, we will not put our trust in Assyria. Assyria and Egypt were like what the United States or China are for some other countries today. We trust them, but we pay tribute to them. You know, what is the saying in English? Like there is nothing like a free lunch. <laughs> you know, it's not free. You know, you, I mean, there are, there is, uh, there are ways that, that, that these investments, these countries invest in protection, you know, and then there are ways that other countries pay later with loans, with uh, trades, you know, the free trades uh, agreements and, and things like that. So for a small country like Israel that has throughout their history at this time been under, you know, at the mercy of these empires, to say this is huge. We will not trust Assyria because Assyria becomes your God if, if that's where your trust is. This is what in the book of Hosea and in Ezekiel and other books is called prostitution. Israel is prostituted because they are like having a relationship with Assyria. You know, that's who they trust that will protect them. And there is the symbolism of the horse that represent uh, Egypt and slavery. Um, so the whole thing is, where is your trust? Who is your protector? Who do you think will defend you when you are in trouble? And do you have hope that when you are in trouble, God will defend you or not? I don't know if, if uh, there is anything like that here in Australia. You probably have a strong military and you're not worried about your enemies. I don't know. But for smaller countries, this is real and clear. 
because they look for one big brother or a big uh, country that will protect them. So politically, internationally, all countries are always looking for those protectors. And the, those countries that present themselves as protectors are looking for countries to protect because that's where their money is as well. That's where the business is. The second image that we find here of God is God as healer. God will hear their infidelity through love and grace. And there is also this opportunity to uh, confess that. So you do not only confess uh, your sins, but you declare that we renounce that idea of trusting in that uh, big protector or and you also confess that God is your healer you know these days I think that this is one of the things and I'm sure you hear you do it here one of the things that uh, we have to pay a lot of attention to in Christian ministry uh, the, the healing, the, 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 the issues related to mental health around the world are really big. Uh, like a friend of mine told me once, we're all messed up. You know, they, and he told me because I went through some uh, weeks that I could not sleep. And he said, just go to the doctor and get some pills. We're all messed up. And I'm afraid of those pills for sleeping, but it's a reality. You know, when, you, when we th see this world and there is wars, you know, and there is the climate change, they're talking about uh, depression among uh, teenagers who are worried about their future. You know, like there won't be a planet for us. And sometimes, and maybe some of us, like in my case, who are older, we talk about that as nothing because we'll probably be dead when that happens. And, but for the younger generation, that is their planet. That's their future. And they're feeling like there, is, there will be no planet for us. What kind of life are we going to live? We're just setting ourselves up for a lot of suffering. And... Um, we are experiences, experiences, experiencing issues related to mental health, maybe like we had and not seen before. And there is the, the issue of, of migration, people by the millions moving around all over the world. You know, speaking of, of moving last year, I was not moving, but I went on a trip to um, the US. I went to uh, work on a book in, in, in June last year, and I went through New York. And when I went through the you know, passport control, uh, homeland security, as it is called now, and you know, coming from Colombia, they ask you questions uh, about why you're here and how long you're here and why are you here. And so this uh, officer asked me, uh, what is the purpose of your trip? 
I said, oh, I'm, I'm working on a book, so I'm going to be in a library. Uh, okay, and what kind of book is that? Well, it's a commentary on the book of Kings. Uh, and what do you do? I said, I'm, I teach at a seminary. Uh, I teach the Bible. And then this officer put the, down uh, the passport and looked at me. And I felt like his face changed, like he was a different person. He looked at me and said, do you have hope for this world? I really didn't expect that <laughs> question at all. I really didn't know what to answer, honestly. I, I mean, I was prepared like for how much money do you have in your bag and, <laughs> and you know, um, and then I gave him some kind of an answer that I don't think it was good. Uh, I said, yeah, of course, I have hope uh, for this world. And, and uh, anyways, he then said, I don't have hope for this world. I don't have any hope for this world. Now, this is a man who represents the authority, you know, the most powerful country in the world. His uh, army, you know, he's armed. He's all the power. He has all the power. And he says, I don't have any hope for this world. And then he went back to this business of being a, a homeland security and uh, returned my passport and said to me, go and write something that will bring hope to this world. You know, I cannot stop thinking about this. I felt that God was speaking to me through this policeman. And it really changed my whole time writing and working on this project. And I thought, that is the point. He's got it right, even though he has no hope. But that is the point. And this is what this chapter does, you know. Bring hope, give hope. And that is what we read in, in, in the book of uh, Luke in chapter 7 and throughout the gospel of Luke. Jesus bringing hope. The kingdom of God is among us. And the kingdom of God brings hope. Hope to these people who are abandoned, you know, who think they are nobodies, that they have just, you know, given up on life and, and everything. And that is, I believe, the model for the church. You know, the church is a place of hope. You know, it's sad sometimes that, uh, like, it, the pastor of the church I'm a part of was talking about uh, how much gossip there was in the church, you know, and all the damage that that does. But the church is really, I mean, like, that is the main mission. 
because there is so much hopelessness uh, in this world. And how do we give hope? How do we, do we bring hope? Actually, according to this text, we as individuals can do very little, you know, to give hope. But sometimes hope is just being there. You know, being a human being to another human being, listening to a person, uh, you know, speaking to a person who is lonely, who has given up on, on life and, and doesn't expect anything from life. This is what we are called to do. And it's... Uh, I've been hearing so many good things about this community, and when I hear the stories of all the things that happen here, you know, it's, it's you know, stories of the gospel. When you, when you see that God is present and active among you, and this is the spirit that we should strive for and, and never lose sight of who we are and what we do and why we exist as a community of Christians. And the second half of this chapter talks about uh, some images, beautiful images uh, that remind us of like Genesis 1 and 2. You know, and these images, one thing I want to highlight in these images is that they are simple. One thing that I have thought about is that we should probably develop some idea of a simple uh, well-being, you know, uh, like uh, John Stott talked about simple lifestyle, you know, enjoy life, enjoy what you have, be generous, but do not complicate yourself that you have to be this or that or have this or that to be happy. Find joy in the dew of the morning. You know, find joy in the flowers. Find joy in the trees, in the, in the waves, in the birds, in, in God's creation. There is joy to be found in those things. So... I think we could learn maybe from some of the, the, the you know, the new wave of uh, the minimalists uh, that are out there uh, <laughs> preaching uh, the gospel of minimalism. Um, not to feel necessarily guilty for what God gives us or for, for what we have, because, you know, that's the grace of God that has blessed us with so many things, and then so that we can bless others. And we can have gratitude, contentment in God's provision, and uh, blessing others with uh, whatever God has blessed us. So we have here some images of God who is presented as defender, as healer, and also because I'm a gardener, as I want, I'd like to see God here as a gardener. You know, these images of God in it, who cares for nature, who invites us to think of the beauty of creation. Now, what 
would have Hosea responded to that policeman, to the police officer, had he been the person going through uh, immigration there? Um, do you have hope, Hosea, for this world? And Hosea clearly has hope for this world. But where is the hope? The hope is in trusting God, that he is our protector, in trusting God, that he is our healer, and knowing that God cares for us. And like the story in the book of Ruth, you know, Boaz, when he saw Ruth one, of, Ruth, one of the things that he said was that God would protect her. But then in the end, he was the one who ended up uh, being that protector. So also, as we see in the book of James, sometimes we are called to be that. God is able to do and to accomplish much with little things. We don't have to be like doing all the time great and big things for the Lord. Sometimes I think, and this is one of the things that I'm preaching now, is do something little for the Lord. Do something little for another person. And God will make that great and big. So let's pray and uh, finish and thank God for his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, even in unlikely places and through uh, ways that we do not expect people that we think are there to do other things and you speak to us through them. Thank you for this word from the prophet Hosea, who really lived in difficult times where it seems like there was very little hope for these people. But he said, believe, repent from your sins, from idolatry, trust in God. He's your protector. He is your healer. And he cares for you. We praise you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has been that and much more for all of us here. Amen.